You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. We'll call it a corporate uh, wardrobe malfunction. Shares of Burberry fell on word that its CEO was quitting to join rival Ferragamo. Sometimes you just uh, have to have a new look. Coal is the new black. Speaking of new looks for Glencore, while Orange is certainly uh, the old black for Jacob Zuma. And uh, Facebook is fighting back against uh, the regulators with this uh, battle to regulate big tech. But mind you, this is only one battle won in the larger war. That didn't stop it from becoming another trillion-dollar market cap company. Rob Tywell, portfolio manager at Sassman Securities, and Nick Kunzer of uh, Sunland Private Wealth have your market view. Nick, it is uh, a green day, at least, as uh, we say goodbye to classic business, uh, and the retailers leading the charge. How do you read it? Yeah, uh, even Michael. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, yes, sir. no one wants them, and today uh, everyone wants them. So it's such as the, uh, such as the sort of uh, I don't know the uncertainty, and I think that reflects the market right now. No one really has a feel for how this market's moving over the last couple of weeks. But um, real push for retailers today, push for our banks, and that was despite Iran that that spent the majority of the session grinding sort of lower. Didn't even uh, I thought we'd get a little bit of a pop briefly when uh, the news of Mr. Zuma broke, but uh, even then it was just a bit of a, a bit of an unevent. The tape doesn't tell the true story, Mark. It was a bit of an uneventful day, although the the retailers were obviously the far standout. Yeah, I've, I found the rands move quite interesting because we mm. were recording for Business Day TV around uh, 11 o'clock and uh, the judgment had just come out and uh, I think we were at 14.26 odd in the morning and the rands drifted higher even though this is a huge tick in the positive side of the ledger for the rule of law and for recalibrating uh, the sensible ethical foundations of SA Inc. One would have expected the RAND to react uh, a little more favourably to the news, but the RAND is drifting higher on other currents, it seems. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It, yeah. The RAND is always... If there ever was an illustration the last few weeks, Michael, of, of the RAND not necessarily being a proxy for its uh, economy, it, it very much is a proxy for, for what happens with risk on a risk off around the world. Um, and as you pointed out, I think the RAND more a reflection of a of a stronger dollar more than anything heading into a week that's going to be dominated by unemployment numbers on Friday, ADP numbers tomorrow, all big all big dollar movers. So that's more than that. But also, if you look at the the, the, the SA tenure market as well, also, I mean, just five pips sort of weaker on that yield mm. too. So I guess we always talk about the, the fixed income markets and the currency guys probably a bit more clever than the equity guys. And uh, are they telling a little bit of a different story to, to the Jacob Zuma news? Yeah, the 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room. But, you know, if you look at uh, where bond yields are globally, I'm a little confused, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here, Nick. If I said to you at the beginning of the month that the Fed was going to come out with a hawkish statement and this explicit message that they're looking at the tapering of asset purchases, how many people would have seen this as rate positive? But that's where we are currently, the US 10-year at 1.47%. You're going to ask me to come up with a clever answer, and I actually... <laughs> don't have a clue. Um, 
that that really, I mean, that should have been completely 180 degrees the other way. I mean, extremely surprisingly hawkish Fed, as you said. Um, you know, real sort of inflation numbers that are surprising to the upside and appear to be far more sticky than people probably want or politicians want. And yet, I think we have this, the biggest flattening of, this, of the yield curve in the U.S. on the time that over that week, um, I think, in, in the last better part of a, a decade. Extraordinary. So it, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if the Fed just doesn't, uh, I mean, if the bond traders don't buy the story uh, and they think economic growth is going to slow at some point going out because yeah. the short end of the curve, Michael, those guys who understand bonds, the short end of the curve spiked quite aggressively upwards, um, but the long end didn't. So I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's, it's this, this awful transitory rubbish that keep coming out of. You know, is it transitory or not? But uh, I can tell you, I think it looks far more sticky on the inflation side than people realize. Yeah, and uh, we are seeing the, the, the trade yesterday was certainly back into growth mm. overnight. Uh, and, you know, the, the rotation in the early part of the year was uh, from growth into value. We're seeing a big rotation back into growth, tech large and in charge. Uh, you know, the Dow down, uh, the S&P up and the NASDAQ up over 1%. And this seems to be continuing into the day. The big news, Facebook versus all of those government lawyers uh, on mm. the Capitol and, uh, well, strike uh, strike one uh, to the government lawyers. They're swinging and they're missing at Facebook. Yeah. But, Michael, I mean, just touching on those tech shares, I mean, it, it, it's, it's exa- another case of where it should be the other way. You know, we should technically be heading into a higher interest rate environment, which is not generally good for high-flying tech stocks with uh, no profits. But it's gone completely the other way. So, again, I'm not quite sure the reasons why. But, Joe, good news out of Facebook. We actually, a bit of disclosure, we own them in our offshore portfolios at Sundom. Um, I see now it's all time high, so happy with that. Um, but uh, our Facebook, I, I think in one of the notes you sent me, one of those shares, I think everyone's got to have a bit of Facebook in their, uh, in their portfolios. It really is. They just keep coming out with these unbelievable numbers, and they just dominate all over the place in the social media space. So, yeah, they won this round, but, uh, you know, regulators are going to fight back for the next round, I think. Yeah, that $1 trillion club, uh, you've got mm. the likes of Apple, that was obviously the first over the line, Microsoft, Saudi Aramco. Two, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, $2 trillion, exactly. The second uh, after Apple to become $2 trillion. You've got Amazon, Google, and now, now Facebook. Uh, a clutch of uh, real disruptors that uh, we can't live without and that we use almost on a daily basis. So you, you can't do much without oil. Uh, we talk here a lot about ESG themes, and uh, and speaking of that... Uh, there's been a, a lot of discussion in the market at the moment about the, what's going to happen to coal, to these dirty fossil fuels. And, uh, you know, you look at what Ivan Glassenberg has made a career out of doing. He hasn't made a career out of following the herd. And in his very final deal before handing over the reins at Glencore, he's betting on a long, lucrative twilight in coal, as the Bloomberg headline says. So what do you make of this deal to, uh, to say... Effectively, he, he, I just want to finish this thought here. Yeah. He's, uh, he's saying that, yes, we understand the environmental issues, but there's social and governance issues here. If you're in a developing market economy, you still need to ensure that uh, you're creating employment and that you're doing the, the just transition thing. And he's saying, well, we'll take off the S and the G. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I actually love this story, Michael. I think it's it's brilliant. And if you actually read that Bloomberg article that went out, I mean, it really, it, it does make quite a compelling argument. I just love the fact that while everyone else is running around sort of avoiding these things, you know, it takes someone like Mr. Glassenberg and yeah. uh, Glencore, and uh, we all know the history of... Uh, Mr. Rich as well, Mr. Rich as well, who didn't really care who he traded with. Mark Rich, uh, yeah. 
yep, this is exactly up uh, up Glencore Street. You know, take on something, and they're no fools, Glencore. I mean, they they one of the most profitable trading houses in the world, um, if not ever, with regard almost seventy percent income drive just from trading commodities. So they seeing value that other people are not. I think I'd probably back Mr. Glassenberg on this one. But I love I love that story. It's brilliant. Well, and the thing is, you're not going to see uh, a supply response in this market because uh, it's very difficult to fund new coal, um, uh, greenfield or brownfield operations at this time. So we're seeing a rebound in seaborne coal prices and, and that is likely uh, to continue. So, yeah, and, and you, you have to ask yourself, rather tongue-in-cheek, I mean, if you believe in ESG, would you be investing in something like NUSPAS or Process uh, with, with Tencent as the biggest holding? And we all know about the, uh, the, the, the way the Chinese government uh, thinks about labour rights and all of those other things, which should be pretty big ESG considerations. It's, it's almost like one of the running jokes. I mean, I think a lot of people in, in, in money management in our industry as well are all pushing for this ESG space. And take take electric vehicles, for example, or batteries. I mean, what do you, have you ever seen what, a, what, a, what digging out lithium out the ground does to lithium? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 the scar lasts on that earth for millennia. You know, but all the stuff that goes in to make your planet green, ironically, uh, is quite dirty to get out the ground. So, yeah, I get away that I said, but I mean, I find the whole thing quite, uh, quite interesting. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting space. That's why you should never be investing based on the buzzword of uh, the moment or the day, which is mm. certainly ESG at the moment. Uh, Cap Industrial came out with an operational update uh, for the period uh, one July of last year to the end of May this year and uh, also is one of those companies that is being buffeted by a few ESG concerns obviously Cap uh, has uh, the likes of Safri Pole in its portfolio and there's a big push against uh, polymers and uh, and plastics and all that kind of thing but overall uh, a pretty positive operational update for Cap Industrial. Yeah, I'm going to be like unbiasedly uh, positive on these guys. I mean, I actually really like this year. I went to pre-lockdown, Michael, when we still used to go to to company presentations at the JSC. Ah, the good old days. The good old days when you could sit next to people. But I remember going to see Cup and and the boys give a presentation. Um, And I remember coming out of the meeting of the JSC just thinking, like, what an old school industrial bunch of board. that literally, I could almost imagine them rolling their sleeves up and walking around and unscrewing light bulbs and stuff to to save money. I mean, they were that diligent. And they still, so and well. still cap mm. boots, you know, exactly. In their, in their, their suits that they didn't feel very comfortable in talking to the public and up yep. in Santa and they just didn't want to be here. But uh, a great, I think they're a fantastic business. I mean, they do everything from, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of to the springs, the bases and beds. Uh, you spoke about the polyethanes. They do a lot of the, the bottling. They even do a large percentage of the headrests and the dashboards that go in the Mercedes C-Class. So if you want to bet on a recovery in South Africa, I think you could look a lot uh, further than not look at the at Cup. I think they really yeah. are on that space, on the coal face that they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, timber and, uh, and an automotive yeah, division right. as well. There's, there's plowboards, yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, you mentioned something about being able to actually interact with boards uh, before Zoom and Teams and everything else. Uh, 
Uh, Dave Ebrill, who's an analyst I respect greatly, mm. uh, tagged me on a tweet to Leila Faree of the JSC recently saying that AGMs have deteriorated considerably in this kind of webcast AGM era. And I have to agree with him because too many companies are now not allowing questions on resolutions until voting has already taken place. You're forced to ask questions in a chat box and you're limited in terms of your characters and often management can just ignore the questions if they don't like them. It's a far too sanitised and curated environment. I think the JSE's really got to look into this. Yeah, I agree. I think I think he's spot on. I mean, it, it's. I mean, I must be honest. Before I even look at companies I want to invest or put client funds into, I mean, part of my due diligence was certainly getting onto my Reuters screen, seeing when the calendar of the company was, when they're presenting, when they're going to give a, uh, a feedback to shareholders. And I think it's very important to actually go and sit down and see what you're buying into because you know, a lot of good old-fashioned investing is you're buying, it's a bit of cliche, Michael, but you are actually buying management to a yeah. certain extent. And uh, it's not that easy to read, uh, to read a board or read management over your Zoom screen. It's a lot easier than sitting on stage and answering questions. I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, let's, let's, uh, let's bring back far more sort of interaction with uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have Leila Faree on mm. uh, the new hot business show to uh, to tell us what she's doing about ensuring that we have uh, meetings that are fit for purpose. Yes, I understand webcasts make things easier, but there, there has to be a way to do this that uh, enables transparency and accountability at the same time. Those cannot be uh, sacrificed on this altar of uh, the new digital future. And then Distel uh, renewing its cautionary announcement. This is just standard regulatory stuff. Or are they just trying to ensure that they approach the commission with a better BE offer than uh, that private equity firm did with Burger King? No, I think this is more regulatory. I think they're just going to the motions. I mean, this has been the worst kept secret in town for a number of years. Uh, I just think it's uh, it's finally coming to a fore. I mean, I, I yeah, I just think they're going to the motions. I think uh, Heineken are it's a perfect fit for them. I think it's a perfect fit on both sides. Um, and I think they're just going to the motions personally. Yeah, and uh, we will certainly be following that very closely. The PIC, uh, the the largest shareholder there, to see uh, what happens uh, when it comes to uh, getting this one across the line at the Competition Commission. And then Argent, uh, another one of those uh, industrial stocks that tends to fly below the radar, but it's a great lesson in really textbook capital allocation and how a CEO can be uh, something of a, uh, a reformed capital allocator here. The, the share was up the most in two months today after reporting a massive surge in profits. Uh, it's a steel products manufacturer announcing a 63% increase in HEPs during a period where uh, it's been pretty st- tough for the steel industry. I know um, if you in the downstream, it's tough uh, if you're Arsenal, Middle South Africa and you're protected. Well, I mean, you, you're smiling all the way to the bank. But uh, these results from Argent uh, were really something to make shareholders very pleased. Yeah, what a, what a cracking set of numbers. I actually sent it, came across my screen this morning when they released it and I sort of sent it out to my group. And someone sort of came back to me, one of my the chaps in my team, and said it's got a 675 million rand market cap. That's it. 675 million. And yet you're coming out of things like this with revenue of almost 2 billion rand. I mean, it really is a real good set of numbers. Even though it is a bit of a small cap, it's a cracking set of numbers. Stock's up 70% year to date. Trades on a forward PE, Michael, of, of 5.6 times. Um, giving it away. Really, 
Yeah, I mean, this is where you need a decent evaluation to sort of shout it from the rooftops because I think those are really good serial numbers and they should be proud of themselves. Absolutely. Well, we're shouting it from the rooftops of Classic Business. Yes, we are. Uh, Nick Kunza, Portfolio Manager at Sunland Private Wealth. Uh, for the last time on Classic Business, look forward to having you on uh, Hot Business from next week. Thanks, Nick.